All right, welcome back to another episode of the HMG podcast. We're trying to do something a little bit different today. We've actually got a studio this time around. Um, we're going to work on getting our production quality a little bit uh, higher than it has been recently and try to keep that going forward. If this is something you guys like and you want to see more of this, please do let us know. Uh, so I guess we'll start with a bit of a hobby update. Dan, what have you been working on recently? Uh, so from where we are at the moment, um, I've just been finishing off the display board for my Winter Bulgarians that's coming through. Um, that's come up really nice, actually. Um, so I've got to put the last final ground covers on that. Um, hopefully I'll get a photo of that to put in the, uh, the information for this one here. Um, and then I moved from that into the first unit of infantry, 10 riflemen, um, and applied the, um, the primers on that, getting ready to do the airbrushing as we move forward with that. So it should give me a nice gradient on the cloaks. Um, and then uh, that would be the, probably the next goal is get those 10 done. Um, and how quickly I get those done while trying to be a dad will be a question, but yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not a dad, so I did plenty of painting. <laughs> and um, uh, I think I've finished an entire Falschermjäger force um, during uh, the week leading up to the event that we're going to be talking about in this episode, and that's going to be the Varsity Pathfinders. So it was uh, roughly between 30 and 40 Falschermjäger infantry, all the camo and that kind of stuff. Um, and then just prior to that, I painted up all of the 148 tactics stuff because um, we did a demo day probably a week prior to um, the event that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so, yeah, been busy painting. Um, and then uh, us, again, COVID is just not really a, a big issue here in WA. So we are gaming every single weekend which is really lucky. Yeah. Um, and the club's basically going on fire here in, in Perth. We have events, uh, we're doing a lot of naval stuff with Cruel Seas. Um, we're doing a lot of infantry combat, combat, either that's bolt action or it's 148 tactic mostly. Um, and yeah, we've got a few other things in the pipeline. Some people are playing a bit of Alpha Strike Battletech um, and we're looking at a whole bunch of systems. So hobby has been full go for us for what three months now something like least, that yeah yeah, pretty, pretty yeah. Much. yeah um and no shortage of upcoming events in perth itself obviously we do a lot of stuff um but some of the other clubs are, are starting to pick up and, and host some big tournaments and this kind of stuff later to the end of the year hmm. um but how about we get all into it so just so you know gotchen's over here this is dan and i'm jacob we're the historical miniature wargamers podcast um, we primarily focus on bolt action, uh, but we're all interested in all kinds of other miniature uh, games. Some would say too many. <laughs> <laughs> if it's historical, we pretty much play it. But, um, you know, it, although we're historical in name, we're, we're, we're not afraid of, you know, trying some fantasy and, and, and sci-fi and that kind of thing from time to time. But um, World War II seems to be the thing that brings us all together. Yeah. Um, and bolt action specifically... Uh, is how we all met each other as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, upcoming, uh, sorry, the last event that we would have played would have been Gorchen's, uh Varsity Pathfinders. Yeah, um, so we just started um, a three-game system campaign at RHG. Uh, so we did, we wanted to have three game days, uh, three systems, uh, one system, one day. And so the what we did to start the campaign, uh, which was based around Operation Varsity. It was a very late war um, allied invasion into Germany. Uh, it was a combined airborne and amphibious over the Rhine. So this is actually uh, the third combat jump 
that Allied paratroopers were actually capable of doing. Um, most people who are into World War II and ground combat specifically have seen Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you remember, there's a bit sort of halfway through the miniseries a little bit later, um, Winters t- like, tells Nixon or asks him about Operation Varsity. And he's like, oh, you're one of the few paratroopers who's got three combat jumps or he's got the third star. In his okay. and, that's, and that episode um, that's around that, that, that was Operation Varsity. So it was, um, historically, it's been criticized as an overcompensation for the failure of Market Garden. Mm -hmm. Um, They broke a lot of the rules that uh, everybody had sort of agreed that you don't do um, when it comes to airborne drops specifically. So it was low speed, low altitude, broad daylight, clear Mm -hmm. skies, airborne drop into defended positions. So when you think about the, the invasion of Normandy, there was a lot of other things that were going on. And, you know, admittedly, it wasn't a very well-organized drop. It was mm-hmm. a lot of scattering and stuff like that. But the actual casualties from the airborne operation, specifically the drop, was, for all intents and purposes, percentage quite low. Mm-hmm. It, it was actually pretty harmless. Um, and if you've looked at some sort of studies about, say, for example, Rommel's asparagus, I think there was a total of three gliders that were affected by it. it was, yeah, right. Uh, and so, it, you know, don't get me wrong, it was extremely chaotic because it was still really dangerous, but by and large, it was it was quite safe mm. um, for a combat operation. <laughs> yeah. um, Market Garden was sort of the same thing. They didn't actually do a combat drop. Um, yeah. And, and same in... It was it was sort of sort of a combat drop, not really, depending on your drop zone and things like that. But the the landing, by and large, for Market Garden was was again very low stress. Normandy, you weren't dropping onto fortified positions; you were dropping into sort of, ideally, your drop zones were areas that were behind enemy lines, but weren't actually garrisoned by troops at the mm-hmm. time. Sort of empty fields, empty farmyards, that sort of thing. So you could you could coalesce into an effective force and then go and proceed onto your objectives. Whereas Varsity was none of that. Mm-hmm. It was literally low speed um, airdrops right on top of any positions. Right. And it was just, it was complete chaos. Ballsy. Yeah. Um, and and so there, there was this really interesting thing where that point in the war, um, the, the German forces were naturally facing a lot of desertion, a lot of attrition, but they they actually ended up having a higher concentration of war material. So not not necessarily mm-hmm. things like tanks, they were pressure supply always for the Wehrmacht and a lot of a lot of motorization was also a pressure supply. But there were so many AA guns and anti-tank guns that didn't have crews. And so infantry battalions ended up basically becoming anti-tank gun battalions yeah. just because during their retreat eastwards they scooped them all up. Mm-hmm. And so you've got you put those two things together and you get a massive casualty rate on, on combat drops. And it was, yeah, per, strategically, perhaps not the smartest thing you could have done. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that was different is they did it simultaneously with the amphibious assault. So mm-hmm. in, in, in Normandy, for example, that Operation Overlord, they dropped the paratroopers the night before to yep. coalesce. Yep. And then they were supposed to have completed their objectives before or during the naval bombardment, before the landings, which landing, this is different, yeah. everything at the same time. Um, and so we're going to try mm. to create that um, yeah. in the final day. So the first event that we started off with was Pathfinders. So this was a firefight event. Um, what we were trying to capture was different objectives that um, Pathfinder units might be, mm-hmm. might be trying to perform in leading up to an invasion or shoring up the defenses, depending on which side you were on. So the, the first mission that we played was, um, was basically a bomb plant mission. 
Um, mm. If you've played sort of Counter-Strike Demolition, that's how that yeah. works. You've got a secret bomb carrier. Your opponent's got a secret bomb carrier. Your bomb site is designated an air deployment zone. You have to go over there mm -hmm. and basically pass the rally order to plant the bomb. Yeah. Um, it was intended to be quite difficult because uh, it was supposed to capture either allied... Um, Allied Pathfinders destroying specific key structures mm -hmm. to make an invasion easier or fortifications that you needed sort of controlled demolition for. It wasn't them lo lobbing a satchel grenade onto, onto an AA gun or something like that. And yeah. for uh, the Axis Defenders, what I was trying to capture there was them you know, strategically des destroying bridges um, mm -hmm. so the Allied yep. couldn't use them to cross the Rhine. And, and so that, that was actually um, the mission sort of played out how I'd hoped, which is yeah. sort of what you can always hope for when you design a mission. I'd made the bomb, clamp, bomb plant quite difficult and slow. So you'd have to be on the site and then your mm -hmm. next turn would have to be a rally order and then the turn after it explodes. Yep. And the reason is when you're doing something like that, again, it's not something you can throw up and do. I wanted to encourage players to secure that area mm. and plant it. And that also means you can't just you know, put 11 of your 12 firefight guys on the defense, yeah. sprint in with smoke grenades, throw the satchel charge and run yeah. away. I wanted to force players to make the decision between attacking and defending. And that turned to be quite a, um, quite a pivotal uh, thing with the missions. So one of the issues, uh, not one of the issues, sorry, but one of the things that comes up in the demolition game within bolt action mainly yeah. is that it's actually too quick to kill that and destroy yeah. that objective yeah. by a unit getting on it. So by actually just... You know, putting a couple of extra steps in there to go, it's going to require you not just to run in there and touch it and, hey, I win, but you actually need to hold that area and hold that for um, what in game terms a significantly long length of time. Mm -hmm. In Firefight, especially because each man acts individually, um, you know, just because the bomb carrier gets there by himself, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have a squad to hide in. It doesn't have anything like that. So he needs a support to, to get in or at least to clear the ground off before he runs up, um, which was quite good. Yeah. Um, quite interesting when I was witnessing that one. Um, um, so this mission is very reminiscent of Counter-Strike and to um, <laughs> sort of put that in perspective, we've said the word firefight a few times, but just so you know what it is, um, it's basically the skirmish version of bolt action. You're activating individual soldiers rather than squads. So each order device goes to each individual infantry soldier. Um, episode two, I think we did a whole talk on what firefight is like in running at a previous event. Um, this again is a, is a second firefight event for us. Um, but I think specifically that mission was the one I was most excited to play. Um, and that really would make sense in something where you have single infantry figures rather than like an engineer squad would be responsible for yeah. destroying that site and, and that kind of thing. So that was mission one. Uh, how many did we have in the pack? Uh, it was originally going to be a four mission day, but the last one was um, just going to be a meeting engagement. It was, yeah. was going to be used to, if there was any issues with... Um, uh, if all of the sides sort of scored evenly and it was a net draw, uh, then the, the meeting engagement would be a great place to, to use as a tiebreaker because you can score so many potential victory mm -hmm. points, especially in firefight. Yeah. Um, so what I was doing for the campaign was I was going to take the aggregate allied and axis result per each mission and use that to decide the consequences of the campaign. Mm -hmm. So um, what we had for that one, for that mission one was actually a pretty resounding Axis victory. Mm -hmm. um, so what that means is for 
for the Vasi uh, campaign day is that the, the Allied bridge, uh, the bridgehead that the Allies were going to use to cross is completely destroyed, okay. um, which means they have to execute a river crossing with, uh, into an entrenched position, um, which is more yeah. or less what happened. Yeah, okay. Um, and how will that play in the game? Is that just like an advance over or? Yeah, so yeah. I've, I've used it so you have to have enough movement to cross the river. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're a tank unit, you've got to be up against it. The river's about four or five inches wide. Okay. Um, okay. It's a little That's bit great. wider. It's a little bit narrower. So if your infantry unit's up against it, you can hop over. But um, you can't sort of shoot once you cross it yeah. because yeah. You're, you're too busy stowing your equipment. It's basically up. a run at half speed. Yeah. That's what they have to commit to to yeah. do that. But right. say, for example, yeah. you, if, you've got, um, if you've got the run and you can start six inches away and you can still cross the river with it. So the idea is if you're in... Um, in sort of an okay. a covered yeah. position, you can still yeah. sort of sprint out in yeah. the open across the field because otherwise it becomes a straight up slaughter. You yeah. have to position yeah. yourself in front of the river for a turn and then try to cross yeah. it without any cover. Yeah, yeah. and it's not yeah. a so the the actual area just in front of the river is in cover, but the area behind it, you've got some hills and some line of sight leading up to transposition. Yeah. So what I envisage is that that player is going to bring a fair amount of heavy guns, going to find a particular point and try to break through that point. Because that's what you would do. You'd find yeah. the weakest point in the line and you'd force it. Um, yep. So we'll, we'll chuck up a bunch of photos because Gorchin made um, three boards for this entire event, right? It's two six by fours. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. right. Um, and you've you look got, awesome. Uh, Thank I'm, you. I'm, that, you know, there's a river crossing, then there's a... Um, a big forest section. That yeah. has a kind of fire base. Yeah, and then there is a, uh, there's a town at the other end and there's yeah. a... There's a Main uh, main supply route or a road yeah. that runs through it, and and these tables will be connected, yeah. Um, but with other players on various tiles, I guess it's going to be yeah. roughly about four by four, um, yeah. So four foot by four foot per player pair, yeah. but there's not going to be any borders between the players. If they want to operate in each other's space, they absolutely can do it, yeah. and that's to sort of try to capture what a military operation's like. You've got rough area of operations and your own responsibilities, but if you see an exposed flank, it's yeah, up to you take to the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so say the, the middle table itself, which might have player three and four, either of those forces can go to either, either side yeah. and help the their yeah. other ally, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And so um, I'm trying to remember now what mission two was yeah. um, for that one. So, so it wasn't mission two, I remember King of the Hill? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. yes. Because, yeah. because I got a story about what happened in King of the Hill. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the intent of the King of the Hill is hold the have more units within three inches of the center of the board than your opponent. Yep. And yep. so what that was trying to capture was either paratroopers securing a drop zone, yep. um, or it was the uh, Axis players preventing them from securing a drop zone, or um, conversely, allies setting up sort of uh, artillery calculations. Because a lot of times in World War II, you would set up where you are, you'd spend your time doing your computational sort of bear distance and direction yeah. of known enemy positions from your current position, and you would supply that to nearby artillery units. So it might be mortars, it might be artillery cannons, or, or it could be sort of self-propelled guns. And that was sort of the idea there, that you've either got um, allied or axis commanders, local commanders setting up firing positions or fire mm -hmm. bases. Uh, and so that was what I was trying to capture there. And Dan, I feel... Very, um, oh man, that table. <laughs> very interested uh, about your choice of tactics. So, um, so before I get into to that aspect, um, I actually played one of the two new players that we had yep. um, for that particular event. And unfortunately, and I really apologize, I can't recall your name. Um, I'm sure we'll find that out and we'll put that in, in the comment. But um, yeah, we had 
had one of these new players start with us. And so he, I don't think he'd actually played bolt action really before. Mm. Um, and he'd only had one firefight game, which was round one. Yeah. So, yeah. so considering my experience, this... He did win that game. Sort of, <laughs> we hadn't got there yet. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't, I wasn't overconfident, but I did say to him, I was, I was like, you know, um, I appreciate you haven't played firefight before. And so some of these things might be new for you. Let's use this as a game that whilst I'll still play to win, like I'm not going to give you a free ride, um, but let's use this to explore some of the ideas mm. and things that yeah you want to learn more about while we play the game. Um, so we took probably a more casual approach overall to the game, even though it was part of an event. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did that so that I could get another player skilled up and understanding of, of how bolt action works and how firefight works and, and also not to be just that, that one player that rocks up and goes, oh, a bunny. Oh, my God. Because that's happened before to me where, yeah. you know, you play someone that's really experienced and you go, I'm sort of just learning how to, and they hit you with a sledgehammer and you're like, yeah. Yeah. That's not oh, fun. Um, yeah, I didn't think that would be yeah. fun for him, no. especially if he'd only literally just played his first game. So, yeah. so I, you know, went in there and, and helped him a bit. We covered a number of variety of things that hadn't been um, covered in the previous game that just didn't come up, but one of those was smoke grenades. Yeah. Now, now, smoke grenades are... I, I would think it'd be fair to say acknowledged within the community for in within firefight they are quite advantageous um mm. they don't scatter they block line of sight um, they offer cover um and you have an unlimited supply of them that's probably one of the key aspects that's and a bit another of a problem key is that normally smoke you're using an artillery officer yes. or a mortar yes every infantry model has smoke grenade every, equipped yep yep yeah. um currently but currently by default and um at the moment we haven't toyed with changing or removing that yeah. um possibly after what i did to show the effect <laughs> yes which I, i've talked to other players and they've done it too and, and would agree but um, but maybe we'll look at tweaking that a little bit. But yeah. essentially, as we get down the board towards King of the Hill, and our hill, ironically, was roughly centred, so it, you know that was that was great. I still measured it out and went, oh, I should have just left the marker where it was. Gorchin <laughs> already did that. Um, and uh, my right flank essentially stalled a little bit, uh, but I deployed my all my troops in pairs of two. Uh, and so the idea being that even if one guy moves forward and gets stalled, I have someone ready to support straight away. And then within 12 inches, I'd have another pair of two. And basically that was my entire battle plan the whole way along um, because I took uh, I took an officer and then rifleman to fill 200 points. And so it was, yeah. it was something like 15 riflemen and yep. an officer. Um, and so that all, that all went dandy and went fine. But um, once I'd actually got... Uh, you know, my, my, my right flank to sort of engage a bit and the new player was a little bit cautious, had some buildings, so he really had the advantage on that flank. I looked at my left and uh, he was on the, the, the other side of a crest of a hill uh, in the middle and I was coming up to that and I was like, we're, we're going to fight over that, I know we're going to fight mm-hmm. over that. So I really only have my left flank to work with and I was stuck in woods and I'm going... So my one flank that I need to manoeuvre is stuck in rough ground and yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not just going to be able to run through or around these things. I want to get some sort of cover. And so I started a process of just throwing smoke grenades. Mm-hmm. And my original intent was just to simply throw smoke grenades to uh, to provide some cover and restrict those fire lanes down in, in a way that I could cover majority of my force moving up. What made it worse, because that, that was yeah. pretty fair at that point, and he, he even threw one smoke grenade, so we had four smoke grenades that had been thrown at the end of that first round. 
And at that point, it's probably not that bad, right? Because you've mm -hmm. only had some go out. There's the possibility it'll disappear or scatter. It didn't stay exactly where it was. Um, mm -hmm. And for those that want to, it's a 50-50 chance that it will stay versus do something else. Um, so I then got the dice because I had more models that were on the table. Uh, I then activated my NCO to snap two and my yeah. entire uh, mid to left flank, um, essentially all of them took a step forward and threw another smoke grenade. Yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> I remember it was about this point after I'd placed, I think I was about halfway through putting the smoke markers down, but Jacob, his game's already finished. <laughs> and he, he walks out and he goes, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I'm just smoking. Yeah. And I was just putting smoke markers down uh, and I basically had a line. Um, uh, it was it's about seven smoke grenades off the second salvo that I'd mm -hmm. thrown, um, which that's about 21 inches worth of smoke that, that just <laughs> covered essentially my entire table. flank. Yeah. And all of my guys... I would also like to point out that this is when I gave you the 15-minute warning for the random. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, we had taken a bit of time. But, yeah. um, uh, and essentially, uh, we were in turn... Uh, I think we were in turn four by that point after the moving yeah. through and advancing and stuff. Um, but th this smoke wall has gone down and... Um, <laughs> this poor new player is like just looking at me like a deer in the headlights yeah. going what do I do how do I even engage with that like I don't <laughs> yeah. even like I can't just run through it because I'm only running with a single dude at that point and anyone yeah. that you've got that hasn't activated is just going to be able to take yeah. him out before yeah. I do anything maybe if I get everyone through the smoke mm -hmm. but then you know they've run through the smoke so they can't actually do anything because there was a there was I think it was seven inches between his models and where the smoke line was and because they didn't scatter I was able to essentially mathematic out exactly that distance so yep. I knew that yeah. he wouldn't be able to advance and take a shot so that was a little bit gamey on my part I knew we'd have to commit to runs um, you just wanted to see how this would work, right? Oh, I've known yeah. how it works. <laughs> it doesn't normally work this well in regular BA because yeah. smoke scatters and yeah. you only get the hit on the six. Yeah. When you can deliberately place that smoke, and, mm -hmm. and, and I will state, like I said, it was a little bit gaming of me. When, I, when you deliberately take the opportunity to leverage distances in the rules, it's not always necessarily bad. This case was borderline. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And anyway, so this 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 gents like I don't I, I don't know what to do, and I'm like, well, let's just take a step back because arguably, if you can't do anything right now, I'm going to win the mission because I, my, even if the smoke disappears, I'm going to have more guys that step up on the hill, but because because I've yeah. got these six that can all run onto it, and so you literally won't have six models that are in space to be able to do it uh, and not get four back. But I went, let's just take half a moment at the end of this turn, um, you know, and we we're, we're sort of running low on time. It was it was. Uh, coming in towards turn five, I was like, let's have a look at what actually would matter. And as I turned and looked at the center of the board, one of the things that I had done was when I moved that mid-left flank across to try and drop that smoke so I wouldn't get engaged and protect that flank, which worked beautifully. I'd moved probably two more models across to the left from the middle than what I should have. Because when we started looking across, across on the hill, um, it was much more of a one-to-one -one advantage. Mm -hmm. as opposed to where I had previously the superiority of, of a couple of extra models to go clean up, um, which by pure numbers would mean I would generally have one model left if, if we killed each other 50-50 yeah. each way. And um, I disrupted the status quo by pulling those two across. Um, and so then I was looking at the board and I went, I'm going to hate myself for doing this, but I was like, you know you can win this turn, right? And he's like, what? And I was like, well... And he started the wheels turning about using yeah. a 12-inch run to do an assault. And I was like, the trick you're going to have is whether your models can actually see my models on the other side of the hill. If you can, I, 
I yeah, you think you're actually yeah. you're, you've got a shot to do it. And and if your only other alternative is losing, you may as well go for the yeah. win on this turn. Because if you do kill what's there, I won't have anything to come back to <laughs> right. out you. And so the the initiative would change over. And uh, so we went through and looked at it and got us. It got we obviously didn't pre measure, but what right? This guy's probably needing to go there. Probably needing to go here. And we agreed on what we thought the best order would be. Of yeah. doing those actions and we yeah. if any of these fail before the last one it's not going to matter i'll get the win it's fine um and so we went through the first action and he slaughtered that guy <laughs> we went to the second action and he slaughtered that guy Perfect. and so now i went now i went oh uh, so even though even though his models uh he's got two that are consolidated onto the objective there was the possibility i could shoot one of them off and end up still with a one-to-one tie. So okay. he really needed to kill off my third guy. So, yeah. so in, in in theory, if he failed his assault, that means I get a free consolidate. I would then get a either a shooting attack or an assault for that unit's activation, which hadn't gone. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. And so I was like, it's either a it's not going to be an assault because I'll be able to obje- move on to the objective. It will be a point blank twos to kill with a submachine yeah. gun. I'm like, yeah. I'm pretty confident I could nail that guy. And he slaughtered the third guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he went from he went from having his left flank, um, his right flank essentially in a stalemate. Uh, sorry, my right flank in a stalemate. My left flank essentially secured and going. You can't touch this because we're all smoking. Um, yeah. Just the smoke templates, not the smoking. <laughs> but, um, and and then I'd lost the center in a matter yeah. of in a matter yeah. of dice rolls, yeah. and I just went three activations. I, I and went. It was done. I was like, okay, well, um, not much I can do about that. So a yeah. uh, good game. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we played that city table with the King of the Hill. Yeah, um, that was that, that was hot very mess. intense. Uh, and the thing that I really liked about this King of the Hill is the actual deployment that we did. Yeah, yeah. So um, I don't know how best to explain it, but like you basically twelve inches away from the from the king you, from you, the hill. Yeah, you yeah. set your objective mark in the center of the board. Yeah, it's got a little three inch capture zone around it, and then you put all of your units uh, dice into a bag. Yeah. Dice bag. You pull a unit out, and then that must be twelve inches away. The first unit must be twelve inches away from the center. Actually, each one has to be twelve inches away from the center, and they also twelve have to be inches away from each other from an from an enemy model. Yeah. And yeah. so what what ended up happening? Um, I think in your case, Dan, you pretty much like deployed almost normally. Yes. You had your side, yes, yeah, his side. Yeah. What happened for me was there was a great. Um, so my um, my army that I brought was. Uh, basically modeled after a standard 12-man paratrooper section. Mm-hmm. You've got an, uh, an LMG in there, um, which I took as an MMG, so I had those three guys. I had a second lieutenant because I needed one, and then I had eight bodies, uh, yeah. an NCO and seven guys, to fill in the slots. Um, I took an extra BAR because late, uh, late war, sorry, I took one BAR because late war paratroopers actually were given BARs, um, mm-hmm. which you can see in my market garden as well. But, yeah, so I had an MMG team, uh, nine guys and my, and my second yeah. lieutenant. So what I did was I put my MMG team, I managed to get the first dice, yeah. and I put the gunner in like the second story building and he the, could, see, could see the whole objective. Like the whole yeah. town. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> had, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and he was just looking right at the objective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I decided from that point, I was like, well, why don't I just try to use the generally the tactics that are in there? You'll have, um, you'll have an assault section, for any given U.S. squad, you have an assault section. You've got your base of fire section. So I deployed um, around another like four or five guys around the MMG building, around yeah, the, yeah. the base outside on the base floor, looking mm-hmm. at um, sort of setting a perimeter. And then I set another five or six guys off in the opposite yeah. corner. 
and you sort of filled that that ribbon of space between the two with mm. your um with yeah your um when when i was looking at that like i was i was trying to play the game that you do when you're doing four deployment where yeah. you're trying to deny yeah. points of deployment by placing your figure there then you know it's 12 inches safe on this side and that side so my stuff was really scattered across the board as much as possible to prevent you from sneaking up behind me i yeah. guess um but that meant you had two strong points with all your stuff and that was the intent um, i wanted one around my ncl yeah. one around my lieutenant so if yeah. i needed to i could sort of seize an opportunity yeah. and rush through yeah. um and typically in a regular game of bolt action machine guns aren't that strong um in this typically. they're they're pretty good because yeah. of the multi-shot rule yeah um and then you are i would you i would go beyond pretty good to say they're actually yeah. pretty amazing <laughs> well unexpectedly good like yeah. uh I, I did not you know typically you have you're getting shot by an mmg you take a pin maybe you get a casualty and that's it um in this one and and, and that's what i took it out the first until i see it sorry i think it knocked out like a guy straight up yeah, um, so you moved across the street and my MMG could see both of them. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to shoot. And my, I just opened up with my MMG and I just hosed everybody. Yeah, so <laughs> so as I've been saying, you, you, just, you just didn't expect that the it would inflict enough damage. So for uh, just so you know, I think I was maybe the only player that just took all, all that yeah. um, and then doubled down with that ARs as well. Um, but uh, yeah, typically machine gun doesn't do too much. Uh, it it's nice for pinning and a distraction, but it became the focal point of the lethality of your list. Yeah. Um, so for the next three to four turns, my focus was on either grenading the building that they were in or putting smoke in front of it so it wouldn't be able to shoot um, my soldiers. But that gave you kind of free reign with everything else because there was two, three, four activations wasted on trying to take out this MMG. Yeah. Um, I don't, and he didn't die in the end of it. I think he ran onto the capture point right at the end, which we were kind of contested so, with a few different guys. And yeah. it was it was crazy because on the capture point, it ended up just being a last minute one for one. Yeah. Every time you'd throw somebody in, I'd either kill him and replace him, or I'd die trying to kill him. And so it was just this this back and forward one for one under the yeah. point as as that force sort of swept in, and the one in the corner was busy trying to keep the machine gun safe while he was just hosing as many FJs as he could. And then it came to the last turn, and we were like even on the point. It was yeah. the last dice, and I just, I just like he, he MMG, just like mount <laughs> <laughs> up with his loader machine yeah. gun on his shoulder, just oh, sprinted mate. off the point. Oh, <laughs> wow. This is I'm out of ammo. This has never happened before. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, so this battle I did. It was my introduction to using smoke for yeah. firefight, which I hadn't used previously, and I thought that we used it to a level that would be expected for the actual combat theme and that kind of thing yeah you'd want to smoke out a, a machine gun and this kind of stuff and then i see your table <laughs> <laughs> it's just this complete line yeah. um yeah i think you know you used it to you'd block off a street so I yeah yeah shoot yeah. you guys as they moved yeah. on the objective that's exactly how you'd use smoke sensibly yeah. rather than <laughs> tyrannically but um um so that was an amazing mission. I like that one a lot more than I thought. And I think the deployment and the way that we played it with your two it's kind fun. of fire bases and then my scatter, like, I, I don't think necessarily either was wrong. Yeah. No, yeah. No, um, no, and and I, I think it was quite a fun matchup. Um, that was actually one of Dan's designs. It was also in Raiding Party, King of the Hill. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, I spent a lot of time um, 
confirming with players and obviously working with the mechanics of the game to understand what would be good and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, the raiding party missions were actually really solid. So. Um, and that was mission three. Yeah. Uh, so I really liked the night raid. Yeah. This is sort of mm-hmm. the VIP um, uh, capture the officer, capture the uh, the NCO. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see details about that, you can check out our raiding party episode. Yeah. But I was like, I have a, I have an opportunity to run another firefight event. Night raid absolutely needs to make an appearance. Yeah. It's just and it's too much chaos yeah. and it's too much fun. It has to be played. And, every and time. I need to change my entire tactics for this. So last <laughs> yeah. time, the two things that I felt that really hindered me. The large inexperienced troops just didn't work out for me in that game. I've yeah. actually rethought on that a couple of times and, and still think perhaps they just didn't play out the way I wanted it to in the last event, but there are definitely some bonuses for oh, for sure for taking inexperience, yep. particularly in Firefight. Yep. Um, so I did the reverse. I'm like, okay, I'm going to play all veteran and do the ARs and all that kind of stuff. And this time I'm not going to put all my officers on. So so the board is 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 quartered, four yep. quadrants. Um, yeah, I can't remember exactly how, but basically you choose one, one player chooses one quadrant and then you have the opposite one. So yes. um, at last time I did, well, the aim of the mission is that you want to capture their NCO yeah. or their lieutenant yep. uh, and you're penalized for killing them. Yeah. yeah. So so last time I was like, yeah, sure. I'll just chuck them up in the mu- in the middle. They can be in a great position to then shoot the opponent. And you capture them by but, assault. Yeah. But you get yeah, captured, by, captured assault. by an assault. I played Brad last time and this time. So, um, so there's really no excuses here, Jacob. <laughs> last time I did right on the line, and he captured my stuff like turn one. Yeah, <laughs> because I was you know, because I, he got the dice. Yeah. <laughs> and so he simply went, oh look, that's the game winning objective. <laughs> and just went and took you out. So that was that was um, what was the event called? Episode two, the, uh, the previous uh, raid, fight. raiding party. Raiding party. Raiding. Yeah. So that was raiding party. But this time I deployed a little bit more carefully. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you um, learned. And we did a few strategic smokes, not a ridiculous amount. Yep. Um, there was a lot of terrain in between. It was just like wooded stuff, and we played it as dense. Um, and yep. a lot of us were. Not exactly within the um, uh, tree line. Yeah, yeah. So behind it, so then they wouldn't actually be shot. And there was a little, little bit of playful... Cat um, and mouse. Yeah, cat yep. and mouse. But um, we got really aggressive near the end, and there was a lot of assaulting and just some unexpected bad results for Brad, unfortunately. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we had... I think we had NCOs charging other NCOs <laughs> that were also, you know, carry, escorting a, a, an enemy officer or something like this. So, and You, stay there. i got to go get your buddy and beat him up. And then you uh, are both going to be subjected to me, understand? And there was a lot of, there's a lot of time between Brad's turns where he's like, I'm just going to kill your NCO. Like, I'm just going to shoot him. I'm just, like, I'm just angry. Like, like, I don't care anymore. I just want to cause casualties so you can't win. Um, well, you know, anyway. It, Did you it, guys draw in the end? Um, I, we, we, we misplayed a turn or okay. two of dice, and, and, and that was related to the assaulting yeah. mechanics and stuff. So I, I think... It's either I came out with a victory or I drew. I'm, okay. I, I can't exactly remember. But there was a point where it's like, oh, there's, Jacob's clearly won, and then we have to yeah. replay a few 
few bits and pieces. But um, like that mission, yeah, I, it's another I, good one. I did a lot better this time. <laughs> it's it's probably worth mentioning as well that um, that mission is definitely not a competitively balanced mm-hmm. yeah. mission in the sense of you know both sides are equal in setting up and stuff. Um, because it gives a lot of control to the players on how they deploy the stuff originally. And unfortunately, for example, yeah. like the first time you ran it, yeah. if you make a mistake in that deployment, it can backfire yeah. really quickly. So mm-hmm. um, there is a little bit of player ability that comes into it and that always skews balance to a, yeah. to a degree, right? Um, but the intent is that um, it is fun, it is chaotic, and it's it's something to be taken with a little bit more of a lighthearted approach. It's a lot easier to do that in Firefight mm. than regular bolt action. Not yeah. to say that I haven't toyed with it in regular bolt <laughs> action. <laughs> so mission one, we had an, an overall axis victory. Yep, mission, mission two, two was allies. No, mission two was also an overall axis victory. Oh, yeah. really? Um, so axis more or less resoundingly won the day. The okay. allies came back um, and won mission three with the Okay, yep. yeah. Uh, and so what those three consequences mean is because the, the axis were able to destroy all of their objectives, um, basically plant the bomb, um, yeah. There's the bridge was destroyed. None of the allied players were able to do that, which means there's an asparagus zone that a glider has to land through now, um, which will be an, an incredible experience for all people aboard. Uh, and then because the Axis uh, controlled the center of the board for all of them, um, they were able to set up a, a fire zone, um, basically a pre-calculated uh, fire base. But that, that's going to work for whoever has artillery units in their Axis or allied will get the advantage. Yeah. And because they pre- prevented um, allied pathfinders from placing a Eureka beacon, there's going to be no beacon to guide the paratroopers, which will be an issue for them as well. So that will add some scatter into their deployment, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, this, and this sounds pretty historic so far. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, um, because the allies won the night raid, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to provide the allied players a um, sanitized and stylized list that the Axis players will be using. So okay. I'm getting all of the lists submitted the week before. Yeah. Um, so obviously the Allied players are all on one side, the Axis players on the other side. And but now because the Allied players have captured sort of key officers and, and some intel, I'm going to be providing. Um, it's not going to be a, a tiger with this particular upgrade at this particular yeah. point. It's just going to be expect you know a heavy armored platoon, expect a light armored platoon, okay. expect yeah. mixed yeah. infantry with support weapons. But yeah. that'll give the Allied generals a chance to go right well, we know that you've got a bit more better anti-tank capability, so you're going to sit on this flank to counter those threats, and so it should play out. To make that clear, the allies can't react and change their list. They're already proposed and submitted and all that kind of stuff. What I wanted to capture there was if you're a general on one of these fronts, you don't suddenly have other units you can build, rebuild your army with. You have the units that you have that are combat ready, that are not combat ready, you, uh, as was the case of Varsity, you might want to airdrop more units, but you don't have enough planes. Yeah. That, those are all things that you are out of your control. What mm-hmm. is in your control is the objective that you give yeah. and how you assign support mm-hmm. elements. Yeah. So I will, um, I'm going to allow the allied players to sort of shuffle who is attacking from which, who's deploying in which area, but I'm not going to let them change their lists. Yep. Will they know who their opponent is and what lists they have? They're going. To, they're not going to know who, they were, who the actual player is. Okay. Player style is a big thing. So yeah. knowing which generals commanding which forces is actually quite a quite an important key piece of military intelligence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you've studied your uh, yeah. military opponents. Uh, and, and same in bolt action. A lot of these guys, you know, the community is only so big. 
Yeah, Everybody's yeah. got a rough idea of how those people play, but they will know which axis platoon is holding which objective yeah. or okay. is maneuvering yeah. onto which objective. Right. So that will give them, uh, I guess, a plausible amount of strategic flexibility, mm-hmm. but not weigh it massively so they can yeah. rebuild their list of counts again because that's no fun. And that's how you designed a lot of those rewards and consequences is mm-hmm. it's meant to be – it's an assisting tool. It's not necessarily an outright advantage in um, – uh, you know, in then determining the outcomes of the battles. But it is meant to be, you know, if you spend a little bit of time thinking about this, you are going to be better prepared for what's actually going to happen. Yeah. Um, and, and so that should lead to a... It'll still be a good game regardless, yeah. but it should lead to a slightly better advantage. Now, of course, the Allies are going to have their gliders run into the asparagus and have the wings torn off, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that was, that was the intent. I didn't yeah. want the players on the final day to feel like the game was decided before they got there. Yeah. I wanted them to go, I have to think about this differently. Yeah. There's some advantages um, that I have, there's some advantages that they have, and I need to leverage mine while trying to prevent them from leveraging theirs, or aim to, to really press on the, the disadvantages that they've got. Mm-hmm. So that was um, Varsity Pathfinders. We have another yep. following up event that we'll talk about next time, which will be uh, the Wings of Glory event, Scramble, yep. is it? Scramble, yeah, yep. battle. It's going to be basically a fight for yep. air supremacy. Um, so nice. those that don't know, Wings of Glory is just an aerial aviation World War II game. Um, we've got a couple of videos about how to play it. It is very simple and easy to learn. Um, and super fun. Yeah, it is, it is an awesome game. Um, so we'll go into that next time. Um, mm, is there anything else that we wanted to so touch on? Probably um, we can move into, I think, the next um, stage we're going to yeah. look at, which is where I do a lot of talking and hopefully yeah. you all learn a lot. <laughs> um, so so this, uh, this is another one of the, um, I, I guess, mechanics or tactics articles that yeah. I've been working through and writing and trying to strategize out. Um, it, admittedly, I've been stalled a little bit as, as a dad with my little mm-hmm. daughter being born in January, so things have taken a little bit longer to get going again. But um, this, this part's on angles of attack. Um, mm-hmm. So when I t- say angles of attack, what that really means is the best approach, or specifically the approach vector, to engage the enemy. Now, this is scalable, so it applies to unit-on-unit combat, in firefight, um, at, the, at the platoon level when you start up a battle, or if, even if you're going to a company uh, level or brigade level, um, like I played with Nick a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. Um, and, it's, and it's looking at the terrain and the board, uh, your enemy's positions and, and their defences, and going, is it best for me to get there as soon as possible and directly engage? Uh, so by use of just yeah. a perpendicular straightforward attack, uh, do I need to maneuver a little bit around the terrain uh, so I have to sacrifice a little bit of time but I'll be better prepared for going in on the mm-hmm. attack so it's more of an oblique angle? Um, or do I need to, there's a there's an obstacle or there's something else in the way or my enemy, for example, is weak on the flank so I'm going to spend a larger amount of time maneuvering to get to a parallel line of attack. And mm-hmm. the parallel line of attack is generally, um, in military history throughout the centuries, will prove um, that a flanking attack is generally um, one of the best attacks mm-hmm. that you can provide, um, essentially inferior only to a rearguard attack. Uh, being attacked from behind is never pleasant no. um, in, in that space, and it, and it, but it's very hard to get to that position unless something else has gone wrong uh, or you've sneakily done something and you pop up behind them. Um, mm-hmm. a lot or you power dropped. Or you power <laughs> yeah. dropped, you know. 
Um, although while you power drop, you're also vulnerable. <laughs> so there's parts of that. But um, uh, so that's that's I guess the generic uh, principles behind what these mm-hmm. are. Um, and so we'll start with the easiest one, which is a straight-on head-on attack or a perpendicular yep. attack. Now, it's important to understand that because it is scalable, it does depend on the unit types you've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have uh, 15 bamboo spearmen directly in front of you, 11 inches away, you know that they're probably going to launch a perpendicular yeah. straight-on yeah, attack yeah, at yeah, you, right? Like they're yeah. going to just charge you next turn. So that means that perpendicular attacks often... Um, depending on if the unit types are generally favoring that sort of an attack, they're very predictable. Um, yep. And so you, you won't, you certainly won't be doing any sleight of hand movements to confuse your enemy when your tiger tank rolls forward to make sure it's within that 12 inches <laughs> as quickly as possible yep. to trigger tiger fear. Um, most opponents I would consider would see that coming and would, mm-hmm. would try to be, it's more about getting their anti-tank threats to that tiger as quickly as possible. They might be coming through a different route, but um but in terms of it, it's the most direct route, therefore it's your fastest engagement time. Now that's important because in order to get a strong breakthrough um, or a follow-up for a breakthrough, you need to have the most time possible left within the game itself mm. for that unit to do something after it's achieved its first task. You need exploitation time. That's yeah. right, yeah. Um, because it's all great if you finally break through, but it's turn six and you can't impact the rest of the battle. You know, And if you were stuck there from turn two... Um, Buy some new dice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a long time to be stuck. Yeah. Um, I find crushing one with a hammer while the rest of them watch helps a lot. Yes, know? yeah. Um, <laughs> microwave ovens have been mentioned. Um, grillers work pretty good. Um, and throw them in the ocean if they're no good. Well, and, you, and, you, and you know what? If, if they do just need to be replaced, um, uh, I picked up some dice of war dice. They're really nice. Yeah. They're really, yeah, really yeah, nice dice. Um, yeah. So I appreciate that for dice of war. When I put that order through, they, um, they have come up. Mick. They look really good. Um, but because it's very predictable, it means that you often um, you can't just send them in by themselves. You need something to support. You need a unit nearby, uh, a unit of any sort of type. So if you're sending a tank, a tank forward, it generally performs better when you have infantry to support it alongside yeah. because you're going to have anti-tank threats, mobile anti-tank threats that are trying to counter your movement because um, normally when you're deploying, you deploy the tank away from any fixed anti-tank uh, if you can. Um, but your infantry need to support that tank because if they're coming after you with bazookas, Panzer Shreks, Panzer Faust, all those yep. all those fun things, flamethrowers, um, yeah. your infantry needs to either present a better target, which is actually normally what happens with a flamethrower. They go, I could kill the infantry instead. And your mm-hmm. tank goes, yes, kill the infantry, yes. <laughs> um, you know, but but you, you can't just, if you leave it in there by itself, um, and it's quite a predictable move for it. And a lot of, um, it's also known, if you go buying video game referencing, um, there's a point in click armies where you essentially go, that unit's going to go kill that, and you just yeah. let it do its thing. But rarely do you let it do its thing and then ignore it for the rest yeah, of the game. Yeah. Um, they are actually quite a good distraction tactic um, because a perpendicular attack and, and deliberately forcing an attack uh, directly forward, it's, it's the fastest engagement which means it puts the most pressure on your opponent because they have less yeah. time to think, they have less time to go through that OODA loop. Um, but it's also, uh, you know, if it's a big, if it's a fairly big scary threat in the terms of bolt action, like if it is a squad of 15 bamboo spearmen, um, you're not you're not really you're just going to get and let them yeah. do its thing. Like you, you're your opponent, like if, so if someone throws spearmen at me, I'm like, I hate the fact that I know how the psychology thing works, but I really want to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, know, I really do. I just, I just do not want them... Anywhere near me and, at all. And for reference, 
what kind of points level are we thinking of a bamboo spearman of 15 men? Like, because oh. I think they would take some kind of subscription, subtraction from the points for not having a firearm. Yeah, I can't. Uh, but you probably take them as vets as well, and it might it might end up equaling down the 10 points a model or something I like that. But I, I think it would be fair it, to say they're between 150 to 200 points yeah. As, yeah. As, a, as a generic sort of block yeah. for 15. Yeah. Um, but I also know that when – so we had one of our players very, very early on when I started up the Bolt Action events. Um, he brought uh, a Japanese army. Mm-hmm. Um which was, uh, it was dual artillery pieces and 120 bamboo spearmen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, now, yes, internet, yes, I know. But yeah. um, <laughs> I, can, I can just imagine people railing at that or people going, I love it. Um, Good the, on the, him. The They're re- expensive. Look, <laughs> ten, <laughs> 10 metal models for like $40 the, or something. The, 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 reality, the reality was, um, I think some of them were proxied to be fair. Yeah, but but the, the reality was at that time for the events, we were testing the waters to figure out what people wanted, what yep. they didn't want. Um, and so we hadn't, we, we left the restrictions open to see what would come out and and sean is a he's a very fun loving player and he's just like well to me this is enjoyable and you know and now i know i know <laughs> to be fair i actually faced that list yeah and um and i actually i, I saw the enjoyment and the fun factor yeah. and i just yeah. i looked i looked at it and i went okay um uh, it, it made it worse because our, our objective was actually kill points for that mission. Oh, yeah, so yeah. so I'm like I'm like I literally have to engage with you in order to get points here. This isn't going to end particularly well. Tom's Polish cavalry did a very similar yeah, thing, right? Yeah. And um, uh, but you know we had a, we had a good time. We had a good ball. You know, sort of just yeah. um, he would throw uh, a unit over over a bridge or a hill or something, and I'd get the first one. I'd feel really good. And then, then two more cool. units would come over the hill as well. I went, mm, not feeling so good anymore. Um, but anyway, that's um, that's more about, I guess, the yeah, the unit type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's sometimes you just have to deal with it. <laughs> it's like yes, there's a cost of how many points have been put yeah. into that unit. Yeah. Um, but, but some the, the, the main point I was trying to bring up was the reaction to yes. that one unit yes. moving up. Absolutely. How many order dice and activations are going to go yeah. for that target? Yeah. Yep. And what else you can do around the board? That's that's right, and yeah. so and that that loops nicely in with um, dice advantage and pin yeah. management and all the other things that we sort of briefly talk about or in depth talk about. Um, you know, the idea of the the best way to play bolt action from a pure efficiency point of view is to um, is to use the smallest number or none of your dice to yeah. impact remove. Um, or otherwise affect and force choices on as many of your opponent's dice as possible. Yeah. So classic examples of that are actually things like um, air observers and, and things like that, where or artillery observers, where one of your activation dice may impact several of your opponents. Mm. Um, so they're quite high. You only get it once, but it's a very high efficiency trade on that on yeah. that drop. Um, but ultimately. This, this perpendicular attack, the idea of putting pressure on your opponent, um, you know, giving them a threat. And it's, it's happened in war games all over the place, right? Like, yeah. you know, 40K, um, you know, back in 7th, and it's probably still now under 9th, but, you know, 6th and 7th edition, your opponent throws a race knight directly forward just into your lines as quickly as possible. Um, if they were really mean, they'd put invisibility on it. But, <laughs> uh, yeah. but, um, but it's, it's that idea, right? It's... it's it actually sometimes doesn't even matter how strong that unit is. Yeah. So how many times have I thrown my BA64 
um, car. It's 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 like a it's like a seven plus a damage armored car. Yeah. yeah. Um, with a light machine gun, it's not really that much of a threat. But if it draws the AT fire, your other stuff is free to move around, well, right? Well, yeah. I, I used it against. Um, I was playing a game with Matt Castles one day, um, and I deliberately drove it and chased his commander. <laughs> and it, and it, he he was like, "I know it's just a light machine gun, but this is so infuriating because he <laughs> yeah. didn't want to lose his lieutenant. It was yeah. a victory point, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and so I I drove it across there as quickly as I could to put pressure on it, and immediately lined up the the light machine gun and started firing and stuff. And Matt Matt um, was just like. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because um, that's an excellent response yeah, to machine yeah. gun fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and more so, Matt. Like, he, he seems cool, calm, collected yeah, every time he's yeah. playing. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I surprised him a little bit on that one. I think, but um, and he still spanked me. But um, <laughs> but but it's that sort of pressure, right? And because yeah. what you're trying to do, as well as break through the lines, as well as get good dice advantage, as well as causing damage on your opponent. Um, your intent is to actually force pressure. Mm. Pressure forces mistakes. Mistakes yeah. can be exploited, and and that's that's how you actually get the game flow running in your favor. Um, it's a great way to uh, either neutralize dice advantage or gain. Yes. So mm. that it's yeah. a it's something that I did if I play like you know a nine or ten dice veteran list at a thousand or twelve fifty points. Yep. You know, you I will move quite a hefty veteran squad forward that might have a couple of BARs or something in cover, and most of the time, people will spend one or two and maybe even three dice shooting Got at it. it. Yeah. And, then, yep. and then all I've done is I've maybe lost a couple of guys in that squad, maybe collected a pin or two. Yep. But yep. what I've done is I've now leveled the dice. Yes. The dice yeah. yeah. And when you're a veteran, or you, sorry, you're a yeah. player. That's what you need to yeah. do. If yeah. you're playing a list with a veteran list and you're you're in a neutral dice advantage, you're actually, you got the yeah. you, you've sure. got the upper hand yep. because each one of your dice is now worth more. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so there's a few other yeah, the few other angles of attack and stuff which we can go into. But but this one is actually the simplest to talk about yeah. because yeah. it's so direct. It's it's just you know um, it's it's like I guess in the in the Napoleonic era and having a cavalry charge come at your flank. You, you, it, it was so stock standard of attack that you knew it <laughs> yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. Um, uh, but you still had to devote resources to it to yeah. to try and you know how do we. How do we minimize our damage here? Do we do things differently? And um, yeah, and a whole bunch of stuff came came out of that space. And it's no different in wargaming. Yeah. And, and the more the more that I start doing all this stuff out and like reviewing military history and whatever, I'm like, it's like literally, you know, someone could go out there on a battlefield, um, modern day battlefield tactics and things yeah. that they would use. And if you think about it and then just apply that thinking into wargaming, it's actually yeah. surprising how much of that still comes across. Um, as, yeah, right. as general principles. As general yeah. principles. Yeah, 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 yeah as, ge- as general principles. Yeah. Um, and how much of it holds true because of the way the games are designed. Yeah. Um, mm. But um, but that's probably it. I, I mean, unless you guys have any other questions, like I said, this one's yeah. pretty straightforward. I mean, uh, we're talking mostly about perpendicular here. Yes. We're talking yes. about flanks and other things. But obviously, all of them have pros and cons to the specific engagement at that point in time yes. but uh, I, I think the thing that you're trying to to, to uh, articulate here is that a straightforward attack that's running right through the quickest point possible to the enemy isn't just to get your troops there quicker it can cause the enemy to re- react and yes. have to yep. deal with that threat giving you freedom with everything else yeah in so I guess in in a more proper proper formal kind of way the reason that you would do 
a perpendicular attack is deliberately either A, because you know that you need to break it at that point to then exploit, yeah. get that exploitation time, um, or because you are trying to disrupt your opponent's battle plan. Yeah. You, you're trying to put a threat in a place where they can't ignore it and where they have to deal with it. Um, you know, there are several ways of doing it, but none of them are as obvious. Um, so it's very good, very, very good um, at trying to bait your opponent mm. into doing something. Yeah. Because you're putting troops forward, and and norm and I'm normally I would run them, I wouldn't advance them. I would, yeah, I would yeah, normally, yeah, yeah. you know, you put them in a as much movement as possible up the board, yeah. uh, and and get them on track, and, and you sit there and go, yep, I'm I'm going to be mm -hmm. um, aggressive mm -hmm. with it and and push the force um, the issue. One thing that I picked up you're talking about earlier with the air observer, which seems really interesting to me, is that it's in a point that can see most of the board. And, you know, when you when you are that player and you're like, oh, this player isn't moving into line of sight, um, you feel bad because you want to you want to clip that target with the airstrike. But that's even it's doing its work. Yes. Yeah. Being on yep. the field, dictating those units to not move in line of sight. Yep. That's even just as good. And that's. So, yeah, and that's 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 very commonly summed up within, I guess, the general concept of board control yeah. or, or yeah. area control. So when I go on to talk about observers and spotters and, and airstrike and all that stuff later, um, even multi launches to a to a degree, um, the real value is never in the kills. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The real value, although there's value there, the real value actually isn't even in the pins that it generates. Um, they're nice, but um, <laughs> the the real value is the fact that you can through a little bit of thinking and use of those orders, you can dictate where your opponent will and will not go yeah. with those dice. And so even when those dice, they're still in the bag, you still know that, okay, but for those four dice, I know they don't want to be anywhere near that marker, so they're going to either advance or run because there's something in front of them, they're only going to be able to advance six, that's not going to be far enough away. So they're more likely to run and they're going to run around. So you can start to predict where your opponent's going to go. You can start to predict where those units are probably going to end up. And you can start to then be able to look at the ones going, nah, he's snookered, that one can't <laughs> um, So I've used, uh, as a little bit of a tangent, I've used the, um, the artillery strike uh, on turn sort of three and um, yeah. turn four even to protect the flank of my army from an yeah. outflanking attack. Yeah. yeah, well, that was episode six of the Historical Miniature Gamers podcast. Um, check in for us again in, what, a fortnight we're going to meet About a fortnight, yeah. we think. Yep. Um, yep. And we'll be talking about the uh, next Varsity event, uh, the Wings of Glory uh, scramble, yep. um, and some more bolt action tips and tricks. Uh, Jacob, Fortune, and Dan. and Dan, see you next time.